We're going to begin here with verse 4. Acts chapter 8, beginning here with verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then skipping down to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaka, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. <coughs> then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns, until he reached Caesarea. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. I want you to know I love my church. I, I, I really do. I, I love my church. And one of the reasons I love my church is because I know Jesus <laughs> loves his church. We are the bride of Christ. He is enamored with us. He cares about us. Now, you know that the church is not perfect. I don't have to tell you that. But I must say that I am so very grateful to be called the pastor of North Homestead Evangelical Friends Church. Because together, God over these years has given us a vision. And, and that vision means that we are to love people to life in Christ Jesus. And because God has given us that vision, we have, we have spent time thinking about, well, how are we to, to love people to life in Jesus and so over the next few weeks, I'd like us to remind ourselves of how we are supposed to do that, what that's going to look like, our, our mission as a church, and the people who comprise that church, what are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to do? Well, as a church, 
you may or maybe you don't even realize, but we have six core values as a congregation, and these are foundational to what we seek to be as a congregation. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives us the reason for his coming. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And so our first core value as a church is because Jesus has found us, we commit ourselves to finding others too. To put it simply, found people, find people. Would you just say that with me, just as kind of a reminder? Found people, find people. Jesus said this. He said, I want your light to shine so before men in a way that when they see your good works... They will glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are to be a light. As a light, we are to show them the way to the Father. We do that, Jesus says, through our good works. Now, one of the things that I note right there is that good works do not save us. That happens through faith. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. But it is, Jesus says, good works that are part of the process that helps save us others and one of those good works is learning how to share our faith boldly this morning i'd like for us to think about philip we've just been introduced to him here in the book of acts and one of the things i want you to notice is just how god was using him we see again and again how effective he was in leading others to jesus christ and as we examine his story I want to suggest to you as quickly as I can five things about him that I think will help us in our sharing our faith too. So the first thing is this. The first thing that I think should strike us as we examine the life of Philip is, is that he lived a genuine Christian life. In chapter 6, we did not read this, but the Jerusalem church, very new, names their first deacons. The disciples told the church, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so they choose Stephen, and he's going to be significant in just a moment, and then Philip and five others there are listed. So Philip, first off, is known by everyone, by his peers, as being a man who is filled with God's Spirit and filled with wisdom. Then, suddenly, the church goes through this period of intense persecution. You'll remember that Stephen becomes the church's first martyr. He is killed. And this persecution, the result is, is that it scatters the church in Jerusalem, and Philip ends up north in Samaria. But there, in spite of the persecution, he doesn't cower. He doesn't get quiet. He preaches. And he shares the gospel. And what we see, of course, is that God uses this terrible thing called persecution to, in fact, advance the gospel message. And we're told that when the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid attention to what he said, and many were healed. And the Bible says there was great joy in that city. So we know this. We know that he was consistent. 
whether he was in Jerusalem or when he fled to somewhere else. He didn't, he didn't change. He, he didn't give up his faith. He didn't cower and become silent. In fact, he didn't give in to prejudices. Well, you know, I don't like these Samaritans. They're different from me. Wherever he went, people were filled with joy. But Philip, who is filled with the Spirit, listens to the Spirit and is told to go south on a desert road. Now, he doesn't know why, but he obeys. And I just want to say this. I hope that you believe that God still speaks to his people. Now, now listen, he will never contradict his word, but I believe with all my heart that God can still speak and prompt us in ways that sometimes we don't always understand. The truth is, our movement as a friend's church began with a man named George Fox, who suddenly in his distress heard the Lord Jesus say to him, there is one that can speak to thy, thy condition, even Christ Jesus. And George said this, when I heard it, I did leap for joy. He understood that God was still speaking. God could move in his heart. God was personal and would, would challenge and change him. And so Philip, Philip hears God, and so he goes to this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. But that says something about his character, too. Think about it. God leads him from this great revival that's going on in Samaria. He's seeing God work in some amazing ways, and Philip is right in the middle of it. But God takes him somewhere else to a desert, to one solitary individual. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that preachers today always seem to move up. They want to move up to the larger to the bigger. A lot of Christians do the same. Well, if it's more, it's better. If it's larger and bigger, it's more blessed. But I love the fact that Philip is willing to leave the larger group where God was obviously working to minister to one lone person on a desert road. And maybe that didn't make sense, but he was listening to God's Spirit. And he obeyed what God wanted him to do. This morning, I'd like to share with you some really good things. And one of those things is hearing from some young adults in our church that you helped send to Rwanda. And as they continue for themselves to discern the call of God in their own lives and onto the mission field, we've got uh, Ellie and Grace and Eric, and they're going to come and just share for a few brief moments about their experience. So I think, uh, guys, come on up. We love them. Let's give them a hand because we can't wait to hear from them. I think Ellie's going to begin, okay? Hi, guys. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't already know, me, Grace, and Eric went to Rwanda, Africa. We were there um, from August 5th to the 21st. Um, Brad and Chelsea Carpenter are the missionaries in Rwanda who have been there for a little over 10 years and we got to learn and be led by them along with Matt Macy who is on the board with EFM, Evangelical Friends Mission. 
We stayed with different host homes of Friends Church leaders while we were there. This mission trip was a future missionary trip, so we were met by two others from Kansas and Florida who were also like us, continuing to explore what overseas missions is like long-term and learn from those who we were with. I feel as if I was drinking out of a fire hose with all the wonderful things the Lord was teaching us while we were in Rwanda. But this is my attempt to sum it up. I learned how difficult the life of a missionary is overseas with the cultural differences, leaving your family, starting a family, and so many things that are extra hard as they are experienced overseas as a missionary. Brad and Chelsea taught us a lot about these struggles in their own experience and stories. One day, as they were sharing these things with us, we all felt downcast and heavy, reflecting on the difficulty of what this life laid down would look like, and after some moments of silence, Brad looked up and smiled and said, but it was all worth it. I was encouraged to count the cost and wrestle with the difficulties of going overseas as a missionary. We learned so many new and beautiful facets of Jesus and what it looks like to follow him as we engage with other cultures and learn from the ways they follow him. This definitely happened among our friends, our friendships with the Rwandans. I learned and saw clearly how holistic the gospel is through D4D, Discipleship for Development, a program in Rwanda provided through the Friends Church. I learned a lot about the concept when helping hurts. We learned a lot about how badly missions can hurt another culture or people group when the people think it is helping them. This was a really important concept in D4D that is something we are able to be mindful of as we continue to pursue overseas missions in the future and the sustainability of it all. After all, Jesus walks with his children. He doesn't just help them and leave. It's important to be more aware of how we are reaching people missionally. Who is going to go? It's no longer that I want to be a missionary. In other words, it isn't always cute, fun, and adventurous. It's that I can't not go. We can be a sending church and a going church. Where do you fit in with this right now? We are all called to first himself, and we are also all intended to be on mission in light of the love lavished upon ourselves undeservingly. So where are you going to be sent out to? Jerusalem, where you live, or your hometown? Judea, other cities past your hometown, Samaria, the outcast who no one goes to, or the ends of the earth. Wherever he leads, I want to go. Him before comfort. Thank you so much for your prayers and um, your support over us on this trip. Hello. Good morning. Um, while in Rwanda, all of the Friends Church pastors were told that they too could be missionaries. They were so used to receiving missionaries, they hadn't even thought that they could be a missionary themselves, um, which I think is how a lot of us are too. Um, one sentence that really stuck with me through this trip is that if you're committed enough to call yourself a Christian, then you're committed enough to be a missionary. We are so used to sending missionaries, we ask the Lord to send more workers for the harvest when maybe you are the one that needs to be sent. There are two words I want to focus on as well, surrender and obedience. Every day we wake up and choose to surrender to God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in, the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we choose to be Christians, we choose to give up our life and surrender all of our earthly possessions to him. By surrendering to God, we become vulnerable. We are now open to God and what he calls us to. After surrender comes obedience. If God chooses you to go onto the mission field, you must be obedient with that call. 
Surrendering and being obedient comes in many different forms, not just going to a foreign country. It could be everyday things like waking up and surrendering the temptation of sin. Our trip to Rwanda has caused me to ask myself a lot of different questions, such as, am I ready to be a missionary? Am I committed enough? Am I a committed enough Christian? Am I willing to suffer and surrender myself for Christ's plan? These are questions I pondered and fought with God over, but I feel this trip has answered these questions with a big yes. We now know what being a missionary means. We know how hard it is. We know it is a constant battle between our plan and his plan, but we are ready to surrender to him and be obedient to his plan. Who here wishes they had another cup of coffee this morning? <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> My reaction to the trip in one word would be wow, with an exclamation point. Throughout the trip, I was continually amazed by how the Lord opened my eyes in ways I was not expecting. I was even more amazed by the work of God um, in Rwanda. As we were only in Rwanda for two weeks, we were there simply to observe and not to work. I praise God for this opportunity to just observe, though. Among the things I saw were a missionary family, church leaders, and a body of Christ who were all on fire for Christ. The love of God is alive and spreading like a wildfire in Rwanda. Going forward, I'm not sure if this is truly my calling. Already since I've been home, I've realized there are so many opportunities here right now. Instead of waiting to serve God, I'm going to, be, I'm going to do what I can do here and now. Maybe he is preparing me to be a missionary, but maybe not. Jesus never said to follow a plan. He simply said, follow me. So I choose to follow him. God doesn't just call missionaries to go. Acts 1.8 says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Each and every one of us is called in some way. We have all been, <laughs> we all have some uh, amazing stories that we'd like to share, but unfortunately we're only given a small amount of time, so feel free to come and ask questions. We'd love that. From all of us, I'd like to thank you for your prayers and support. I definitely felt them while I was there. Every time I was discouraged, God reminded me of the body of Christ that was supporting me back home. So thank you very much. That's too good. That's just too good. You know, aren't, aren't you proud of these young people? I mean... Aren't, there aren't too many churches that get to say, hey, uh, we're, we're sending these folks out. I look at uh, Ellie, this is her last Sunday with us. She's going off to school next week, and uh, we're praying for her as she continues to figure things out. And Grace, I know we're talking about uh, possibilities of sending her for, for uh, an internship in Thailand uh, soon to work with submission there. Eric, uh, we've talked about possibility the next year, over the next year. This is a bright kid. I mean, he... he uh, my goodness, he just gave up a scholarship to the Citadel so that he could continue to figure out what God wants to do. And so he's talked to me about being with us for the next year, kind of an internship basis, maybe helping us with the Illyria project. And uh, I just love their hearts. I love these young people so much. Will you pray with me for them right now? Lord, as you continue to work in them, Lord, thank you for working in us. 
thank you for the challenge that Lord we are called to lay down our idols of comfort so that Lord oh Holy Spirit you can you can use us for your glory may you just continue to bless these young people raise more up Lord send out uh, the harvest uh, workers Lord that the harvest might be reaped Lord thank you for their hearts keep them close to you Lord, we love them. Fill them up with your Holy Spirit, I pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. We love you. Yeah. I just wanted you to hear some of what they had to share. You know, uh, one of the things, again, with Philip that we talked about, and I think you see it in the evidence of these, the willingness of these young people, is, is there has to be consistency with our character if we're going to make a difference with the gospel message there was a a genuineness about his faith William Barclay said that a man's message has to be heard in the context of his character otherwise it doesn't work I talk to people who are struggling sometimes with Christianity and the whole notion of it and what they'll say to me is this they get frustrated that they they that they can't think about Christianity because they don't see many people who actually look like or act like Jesus. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it. Listen, none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes, but we do have to be real. Few things are going to be interpreted as more obnoxious to non-Christians than hypocrisy. By the way, that's sometimes the reason that so many of us struggle with having these conversations with people in our own family, isn't it? Because they know who we are. They've seen us. On the other side, nothing is more powerful, it seems to me, than when a person is solidly committed to Jesus and sees the evidence of the fact that my, my purpose isn't my own comfort. It's to live for him. We have to be the good news before we can share the good news. Philip goes to this road and a chariot passes by. It's an important official, an Ethiopian eunuch who happens to be the treasurer of his country. Now the second thing I want you to see here is how Philip is willing to associate with someone who is very different from him. Think about it. He left the Christians who were in Samaria to go to a non-Christian on the road to Gaza. And when he got there, there wasn't much about the Ethiopian that he could personally, uh, personally identify with. I mean, let's think about it. The guy was a foreigner. He was a eunuch. Philip was probably a family man. This man was a man of influence. He was probably a black man. It was a man of a different race. The Ethiopian was wealthy. Philip was certainly not. But Philip knew this. He knew his mission was to share Christ with those who didn't know him yet. So let me ask you, in your circle, how many non-Christian friends do you have? Statistics show that the longer you're a Christian, the less non-Christian friends you have. And therefore, the fewer opportunities, of course, to share your faith. So this is something, in fact, as a Christian, we've got to be intentional about. We've got to work on it. I don't know about you, but that convicts me right now. 
Your primary friendships, I think, should be tethered to the church so that they reinforce you. But let's not forget, Jesus called us to be salt and light. Salt means that we, we give people a thirst for Jesus. Light means we show them the way to Jesus. I have so appreciated my daughter Faith. And the last two phone calls I've heard from her since she went off to school, she's talked to me about the opportunities she's had to share Jesus with her friends. Near her campus is a, a spot where a lot of the members of the LGBT com community hang out. And so Faith and some of her friends ventured over and she met a guy there who was playing guitar on a bench. She said they talked for hours and they had a significant conversation. Last week, she was in Washington, D.C. I don't know why she was in Washington, D.C. She didn't really clarify that for me. But uh, somewhere near the National Mall, she met some folks and again, they started up a conversation. She said, you know, Dad, it seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. This, they were agnostics, and they didn't really care about faith. But then, later, she became aware that there was a, a young man in the corner just listening in. His heart was stirred. He called them up. He came to church with her that Sunday night, and that last Sunday night, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I love the fact she just naturally and excitedly wants to share her faith. And young people, you have a lot to teach us about that. I wish I was more like that. Did, did you ever notice how Jesus, how much time Jesus spent with worldly people? Nobody wanted to associate with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. But Jesus calls him by name and says, I'm going to your house. That dishonest, far-from-God sinner became a Christ follower, and Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to your house. In Matthew 23, Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem, and the Bible says he wept over it because the city was lost. When was the last time your heart broke because a person was headed on his or her own path and don't, doesn't know Jesus Christ. Most respectable people didn't want to talk to that woman at the well. My goodness, she had a past. She'd been married five times, and the guy she was with, she didn't even bother to marry at that point. But Jesus struck up a conversation. She, too, becomes a follower of Jesus. She meets him, she discovers who he is, and she runs into her village, and she preaches the gospel. Jesus said this, I didn't come to save the righteous, but I came to save sinners. And the reason he came to save sinners is because that's all of us. There's not a righteous one. No one is righteous. It includes everybody. We all need a Savior. Jesus, however, look at it. Look, uh, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Jesus knew the, woman's at, the woman at the well's history. That means to me, you know, maybe we need to take the time to get to know people. Dale Carnegie used to say in sales, you'll make more sales by being interested in people than you ever will trying to make people interested in your product. And I think that's good advice. 
How are we trying to take the time to get to know our neighbors, listen to them, genuinely care about them, compliment them, invite them over, offer to help? The third thing I want you to see about Philip is I'm struck by just how tactful he was to the Ethiopian. I don't have to tell you this, but boy, there are some Christians who really go out of bounds when it comes to sharing the gospel. I think of that street preacher on a campus who just yells at students that they're going to hell as they pass by. Jesus never called us to be jerks. Philip shows this man respect. He didn't hand him a tract that looked like a $20 bill. He didn't get in the way of the chariot and say, stop. He didn't take a survey on people going to hell, and I just wondered, why are you going to hell? He didn't have a condescending spirit that said, hey, you're, you're reading the Bible. Let me tell you what it really means. He didn't get into a theological argument. You know, you're reading Isaiah, and there are discussions that maybe there were two Isaiahs, two different authors. Did you know about that theory? Some people uh, have this notion that we're trying to argue people into the kingdom, but he, wasn't, but he wasn't silent either. He comes along and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He was sensitive to what God was already doing in this man's heart. And he takes it with what, what I would just say is a calm, gracious, and loving approach. You know, the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And that balance of truth and compassion made Philip effective. Jesus, he, he, he asked a lot of questions. The woman at the well, could you give me something to drink? To the disciples, who do you say that I am? He asked his enemies, who do you, what do you think about John the Baptist? My sense is if we could learn to ask the right questions, how much more effective we would be in our own efforts to reach people. Because the fourth thing that I notice about Philip, and we can't miss this, is he turned the conversation to Christ. He begins with this passage and he tells him the good news about Jesus. Now, we can see how easy that was because here it is. It's laid out right there in Isaiah. This is a prophetic passage about the Messiah. And Philip rightly just picks it up right there, talking about the sleep, the sheep who goes to the slaughter. And Philip could easily say, you know, this is Jesus of Nazareth who came and he died for our sins. Now, frankly, it's not always that easy to turn the conversation toward Christ. Truth is, people are hardened by sin. They're hardened by their own perceptions. They don't want to hear about it. They're bitter about past experiences, or they're so skeptical through their, their own intellectual training that they regard any discussion about Jesus to be unenlightened, to be silly, and maybe fanatical. But I would suggest this. One simple way to turn the conversation to the Lord is by telling your story. I hope you have a story. I hope every one of us in this room has a story how you came to trust Christ, how you put your faith in him, and what Jesus means to you. 
Now, when I say story, you know, we think of drama and dramatics. We think of Saul of Tarsus going onto the road to, to Damascus and all the lights and, uh, and the dramatic change. But maybe that's you. Maybe you experienced an awful lot of things going on in your life during that conversion experience and process. Or maybe you're more like Timothy, who just grew up in a solid Christian home, had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. But how much difference it can make if we would just say, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is how he worked in my life. This is what a relief it is to know that he's with me and he helps me. And I know that I have the hope of heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. People listen to a testimony. We're drawn to stories, aren't we? And, and think about it. You don't have to know every verse in Scripture. It helps to know verses, but, but people cannot argue with the difference Christ made in your life. I love the ninth chapter of John. You remember Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And he heals him on the Sabbath, and that makes the enemy of Jesus very, very upset. And so they tried to put pressure on the healed man. They said, do you think the guy who healed you was a prophet? Or do you think he was a sinner? And of course, the man's answer was classic. He said, I don't know whether he was a sinner or whether he was a prophet, but this one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And you can't argue with that. There's no way to argue with that. Have you, were you blind, but now you see? Well, then introduce that person to Jesus. Introduce them to the one who healed you. And then one more thing about Philip. I like the fact that he trusted God with the results. One of the things that I, I took note of when I was just thinking about this is he, he doesn't pressure the Ethiopian. Philip didn't say, hey, look, here's the water. You better get baptized right now. Philip, uh, Philip kept sharing about his faith. He talked as long as he wanted to discuss and converse. But there in the desert, they come to some water. And it's the Ethiopian who said, hey, look, here's some water. I'm ready to give my life right now to Jesus. Can anything prevent me from doing that? And he gets baptized. Look, some people get frustrated, I know, with me because I don't give long altar calls. I don't plead enough or beg enough or get emotional enough or preach enough about hell. Maybe I, if I did, we'd have more baptisms or more come to the altar. But I do believe this. If you lay out the story and who Jesus is, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince and convict. I've come to realize if you pressure people to faith, you have to pressure people to keep them in the faith. And so one of the things I've learned in ministry is we have to respect people enough to give them the freedom to choose. But as I close, I, I want to say this. If you know Jesus, you will care about what he cares about. He cares about lost people. 
Would you this morning then join me in committing to pray for someone who doesn't know him yet? Now, who's that one person? Or maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a neighborhood. Maybe it's a whole people group. But would you be willing to commit with me, Lord, I'm going to pray that you come into this person's life and how can I be the answer to that prayer? Would you be willing to do that with me? Because that's what we're about. That's what we should be about. But I want to just add this. Have you been found? <laughs> do you know that through faith your sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ? Your life changed because of what he did on the cross. And you don't have to face eternity apart from him. Yes, he wants you to be a part of his family. And if you don't know that, that you are a Christian, then I would encourage you to make that decision today. But I won't pressure you. So this is what we're going to do. In just a moment, uh, the worship team... Uh, Pastor Jason is going to come up, and I am going to open the altar. And I pray that the Lord will touch our hearts, and we will really begin to, to think about our position. We've seen some of the things that these young people have done. But Lord, what are you calling me to? Who do I care about? Who are you putting on my heart? Thank you for finding me. Who am I willing to find? And if God is speaking to you, I'm going to open this altar and let's go before him and plead that he work and use us to that end. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for finding us. The world is filled with lostness and we believe that in Jesus Christ, they can be found and experience abundant life, eternal life, a life of forgiveness. Lord, if there are those who don't know you yet in this place or are hearing my voice over the internet, I pray, Lord, that they would make the decision today to say yes to your gift of salvation. And for those of us who have found you, Lord, or should I say, who have been found by you. <laughs> oh God, would you lay it on our hearts who we are to go to, who we are to pray for, who we are to make friends with and converse with. And Lord, help us not to be surprised if you call us to do unusual things, uncomfortable things. But may we be ready because found people find people. Lord, I pray in a moment that this altar will be filled with the prayers of your people going up, rising up for the sake of the lost in our communities. I pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Will you stand